Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Harbor, a safe space to have awkward conversations related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Selena Caesar Chavan, who is your host, and we welcome you to enjoy this series where we discover and unpack things around equity and justice that are often not talked about, probably haven't been considered, and ways to advance going forward. Welcome to the harbor. Today we are talking about the generational gap I have with me, Samrithi and Candace. I'm going to turn it over to each of you to introduce yourselves. Samrithi, go ahead, please. Hello. Um, as you said, my name is Samrithi. I am a second year medical student here at Queens. Yay. Um, currently, I am uh, posing as equity officer for my class council, for my medical council. And I'm so happy to be here to be discussing generation gaps with you. And um, I think it's going to be a great conversation. I think so. I think so. Candace, Candace, with all that energy, tell me a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to people listening to The Harbor. Annie, Wache, bonjour. Hello. In Tishnakas, Candace Martin. I am OG Cree Anishinaabe Kwe from Horn Payne First Nation, enfranchised into Fort Albany First Nation. All that Sam Indigenous, if you don't understand all those words. <laughs> Bring the energy. I am a uh, mature student at Queen's Medical School, second year. Uh, as Before that, I was a military medic. At Queen's, I am the Global Health Liaison for the Asculapian Society. We work with the Canadian Federation of Medical Students, as well as the Queen's students to get representation for EDI issues. So... I'm pleased to be here. And if you have any questions, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of questions today and we're going to just dive right in. Thank you both so much for being here. Uh, so I would like to welcome our guest today as we talk about the generational gap, what it means, what are the benefits, what are the drawbacks, what are what are what are the issues with generational gaps as it relates to Queens, as it relates to school, as it relates to everything that we think of when we live, work, play, study, everything else? And today I have with me Samrithi and Candice, a can of dice. I love it. <laughs> Spelled just like my daughter's name. And so I'm going to uh, turn it over to Samrithi because when you put in your original sort of thoughts around this. It was around looking at uh, specifically how has Gen Z become more effective in, in embracing inclusivity and what that is and the DEI perspective. And I looked up some data. So I'm going to throw out some stats and just for context, because in builtin.com, which has uh, diversity in the workplace statistics, they said that groups formerly seen as minorities will reach a majority by 2044 and that 48% of Generation Z are racial or ethnic minorities. And by the year 2025, so we're in 2022 right now, 2025, 75% of the global workforce globally will be millennials or younger. And they don't look at diversity in terms of black, white, male, female. They look at diversity of thought. So talk to me about where this conversation around DEI as it currently stands and where it's going. What does it mean for you? I think I might be a little bit biased when I think about DEI when it comes to um, just diversity in terms of 
sexual, gender identity, even just racial and cultural backgrounds, Mm -hmm. because I am a woman of color and I also identify as queer. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when I think about generational gaps, I think about who is it that's sitting at the top and are they representing the people who are all at the bottom, who are underneath them? Um, Kind of to your point, talking about statistics, as we go on and as we move forward as a society, a lot of our workforce, um, and specifically as a medical student, Mm -hmm. as people in medicine, we're slowly going to represent a lot more um, ethnic and queer identities. And I feel as though a lot of older physicians and older generations who are currently sitting at the top, who are making policies, who are the people that are teaching us, the people that are making these lessons plans, they're not really acknowledging the fact uh, that there are various identities at play, there are various factors at play. And I think that that's a conversation that needs to be had. And I think that um, there is development and improvement to be done in regards to how we approach um, teaching other people and embracing inclusivity and equity uh, within our own forces. Right, right. And how do we start to have those conversations? How do we start? Well, I'm going to I'm going to put that to you in a minute, but just think about how do we start to really have those provocative conversations that will develop sustainable change. But before I do that, I'm going to turn over to Candace. Candace is wearing this shirt just for contest that says educated anti-energy. And we are feeling that energy right now. And Candace, you're coming in with, again, medical student, um, indigenous woman, a powerhouse uh, person that somebody would, would immediately look up to. How do we start to then take this DEI conversation, broaden it, talk about truth and reconciliation, talk about equity, talk about justice in a way that includes that voice that is often missed from the table, the generational gap that continues to keep us further apart than closer together? We talk about it, (laughs) long story short. So that would involve consultation with the people that are being affected. So if you're gonna try and make policies about indigenous people, about queer people, about people who are having um, ability issues or trying to get representation, you cannot make policies or choices on how the system will be run without consulting the people that are actually being affected. Because if you're looking at an (laughs) anthropologic uh, view, you can have the emic view or you can have the edic view, Mm -hmm. right? So the emic view is the people who are living in that situation who will know what the problems are and what they're trying to accomplish and what the deficits are in the current situation, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, or educational needs that need to be filled for those students or people in that are being concerned. Meanwhile, if you're not part of that population, then you're just looking from the edic view. Yes, your intentions are good, but without actually consulting with the people, you won't know what their needs are to be able to meet them properly. So that would be the mm-hmm. first part mm-hmm. would just be like talking to them. Right. And we tend to, uh, you know, my my previous role was with international development, have this paternalistic, I'm going to go in and save them because all of my ideas worked in this context. And now we're going to bring them to that context. And how, how do we start to do that? And you brought 
the energy of the the education. So you're teaching right now. So you said two words, etic and emic. Yes. Emic, yes. Emic and etic. Emic and etic. And one is from an internal perspective, one's from an external perspective. But even from an emic perspective, an internal perspective, there still is that that disparity. There's still that dichotomy even among generations. So then how then um, is it easy or how difficult is it, back to you, Candace, to have those conversations? How, even within your own group, so let's talk, let, we could talk about the outside, but how can, we, how can we start to break down that generational gap that exists even from within? How do we have those conversations? So on a, the most difficult is when there's trauma involved. Mm. So between the generations, with the Indigenous groups specifically, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma. Right. So you will have generations that have been abused physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually by the system that we have currently built. Mm -hmm. So the people who are affected from that might not want to talk about it in all fairness because they're too hurt. They are too... Um, untrusting of the society that tried to destroy them literally tried to destroy them in every single way possible mm. so they will have trust issues that will take patience that will take kindness and that will take love mm -hmm. if you don't approach problems with that kind of thought process that kind of positivity you will not get anywhere that you need to be you will only just be fighting a wall because they will close down and they may not want to have that discussion that being said, because hurt people hurt people, mm -hmm. there is some flow down of the trauma that they experienced through the next and following generations. And this isn't, ex isn't exclusive to the Indigenous people. There's also oh. like socioeconomic barriers that have to perpetuate this. And any um, minority or any oppressed group will have these feelings and they will need to have a little bit more understanding and kindness when things do get brought up. But the fact that they are being oppressed for so long, that their voices are not being heard, is that they might not want to speak up mm -hmm. and they might not think that there's a chance to make a difference or change. So when people do speak up, when people do have the courage, the tenacity and the enthusiasm to actually try and make change, you need to listen to them. Yeah. Because it takes so much effort, so much strength for people to come up and speak about these things because they know they're facing adversity just talking about it. The chances of retribution or getting uh, punished for it is still very high because there is still a lot of racism and oppression that people have to deal with. And if we don't acknowledge that, then you might just say that, oh, that's just one student. It's like, no, but that student is representing all these other people. Mm -hmm. So when we see something that's wrong and students are trying to make a change, mm -hmm. then we need to listen to them because it's so hard for them to do that in the first place without worried about, without being worried about their careers, their academic careers, their future careers in Grades, yeah. whatever they're doing. So you just need to like try and take it for face value, but also understand that for them to get that to that point was very difficult. Yeah, the empathy, the compassion, the seeing. I've always said that the worst thing that I've, I've ever experienced in my entire career was not being seen. And it's, I think it's even worse when you have that power dynamic between you and someone else, that trauma that exists, 
that you spoke about in, in sympathy, you were nodding your head the entire time that uh, that Candace was speaking. Talk to me about what you're what you're thinking about how the how do we start to have how do we challenge how do we start to get beyond just that we need to have words we need to talk how do we have the conversations that's going to pr- propel the action. Well, I think, Candice, you literally hit the nail on the head. Like, we just have to listen to people, first of Mm -hmm. all. You have to listen and learn from the groups that have been most impacted. And in some cases, it's Indigenous peoples. In some cases, it's people of color. In some cases, it's women. In some cases, it is other, you know, minority or equity-deserving groups. And at the end of the day, if you do not listen to them with an open mind, you're not going to get anywhere. That being said... A lot of movements and a lot of changes are enacted or spearheaded by the equity deserving groups that are most impacted by this. Mm. And that is just unfair. But it is the reality of the situation. A lot of the times, like you're finding you're fighting for your rights and you're tired of this because it is your reality. But that's all you can do because you have no one on your side. So at the end of the day, we need advocates. We need people that not only are they willing to learn and listen, but they're also not taking the paternalistic approach of like, I can save them. I know everything. Um, I understand where you're coming from. No, it's it's not a matter of talking over the people that are impacted. It's a matter of amplifying their voices. So yeah. I, I, I think that's at its core, that's what it is. In order to enact change, Candace, as you said, it's listen and learn, but it's also appreciate and take advice from and take take steps towards um, a common goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you have that common goal, understanding that it is common and not top down, mm-hmm. that you're taking those steps together. And if you if somebody's running while you're walking or someone's, you know, crawling, exactly. you're not getting there together. Exactly. And I think just in pertaining to generational gaps and it's mm-hmm. uh, specifically regarding like embracing inclusivity and equity uh, for at least in my perspective, people with queer backgrounds, for example, in medicine, I think a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of the clashing comes from a lack of exposure. Mm. Coming from a person, I'm Generation Z, I'm 21, like I grew up with the internet, I grew up with social media. I grew up uh, very exposed to people that I didn't know, but I was able to get an insight as to their growing and their exploring of their identity, of who they were. Um, And so in that sense, it was normalized for me. And under, you know, so I was able to get to a point where if a person, you know, just for example, uh, feels you know, not comfortable with their gender identity. It wasn't something that was, oh my God, like what the hell is that for me? Because I feel like I've been exposed to things like that yeah. growing up. And I think where a lot of the um, the clashing happens with older generations is that there was just a lack of exposure. Right. That is not to say that there are many other factors that, you know, impact like or uh, discourage the implementation of EDIIA principles. Um, you know, that can just be plain old bigotry, a lack of understanding, willful ignorance, not wanting to understand. It can be cultural or religious bias. But I think one of the biggest superficial barriers between generations to embracing inclusivity and equity and diversity 
it's just that older generations were not exposed to this kind of stuff, yeah. you know? It's a very empathetic response to that because I, I usually say that, you know, if you don't have the experience that allows you to understand, there isn't an expectation necessarily that you will understand in the moment. But the listening and learning so that you do understand is important. So there is that self-awareness piece that is required to say, look, my experience does not lend me that like you said I didn't grow up. I, you grew up with the Internet. I didn't grow up with the Internet. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was like this reality for me of, OK, now I understand why my kids and I have these conversations about pronouns and they're sure. constantly teaching and we're mm -hmm. learning from them. But if you're not open to that, if you are not listening, if you're not, and it's not even just listening, it's that active listening, listening with your heart almost, sure. understanding why this is so important to them. And then how do we respond to that? Mm -hmm. And so Candace, back to you, just in terms of someone who's studying medicine, you have to, you have to contextualize this. In a in a profound way, as the, the society is changing, as our communities are changing, as we're developing and growing, how important is this? Like, why are we still talking about it? Because so many people don't even know. Still, like, in yeah. all fairness, the education system is in the process of changing only because of the Truth and Reconciliation reports. Mm -hmm. Before that, I was in high school. Like, I'm ten years older than Samriti here, and, uh, and when I was in high school, they, in my history book, it said les Indiens sont des sauvages. The indigenous people were savages oh, when wow. Candace was taken when Canada was taken over. So. That was when I went to school. Generations before that, it was encouraged that Indigenous people were not people. Mm -hmm. And they said the same thing about, like, uh, other minorities, as well as, like, in some countries, it's still illegal to be gay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's all sorts of oppression for profit. And that's why they perpetuated those things in the past. Um, only now with education can people understand why it needs to change. And... The fact is that if you're asking people to change their whole life views, it will be hard for them. Like, mm -hmm. so if they were taught in school for generations that, okay, well, this is the way it is. These people are not humans. They are just people who live there and will move them out of the way. Mm -hmm. Then they will have a different approach. And trying to change someone's point of view who have been taught in school. Yeah, with authority. With authority yeah. that these people are less than, it will be very hard to change their minds. Right. So, I mean, the education piece is very important in order to change that. But now when we get to school now in medicine, we are, we are taught health determinants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Health determinants are supposed to be giving you indications of what are the likelihood of someone getting a disease or a ailment like mental health or alcoholism and stuff like that. Um, but if you look back to where they start from, Mm -hmm. um, health determinants can be traced to adverse childhood events. Mm -hmm. So if you look into the research for ACEs, then you'll see that the likelihood of people having alcoholism, um, abuse, or suffering um, various mental and physical illnesses, they stem from early childhood events, which are perpetrated from the oppression of the population. The exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, if you're you're telling people like, oh, well, this is your fault. You have all these health determinants. It's like, yeah, but this was done to us. 
So this isn't an indigenous or this isn't a minority or a socioeconomic thing. This is because they were put in this situation. So our system is still biased. Our medical system is still biased for when we're trying to treat patients. And unfortunately, if you're coming into medical school and your teachers are telling you that um, if you're this, you're going to have all these bad things happen to you because you are from this background, because you have had these socioeconomic things happen to you, then you will have a poor health outcome. Yeah. It's like, so then if you take that into consideration for the students who actually make it to university, fighting through poverty, fighting through abuse, fighting through oppression, fighting through racism, fighting through um, ableism or like queer oppression, then you see that these people have fought so hard just to be here. They're so lucky to have the internet people who are their new community because their community is greater, is bigger, and is more diverse than any previous generation could have been. Mm-hmm. So they give the they have the opportunity now to learn from others all the good things, all the bad things, and they can take from it and make the world better as they work forward. Yeah. So it's really good <laughs> that people have internet now because it induce it allows even like regular people to have access to the internet and other people. Meanwhile, before, only if you had, you know, the funds would you be able to travel. And then still you will view it from your point of view of this is what is better and this is... Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you wouldn't be able to actually see it for what it is. You would only have the the etic view again. (laughs) To your your point of the internet people, I feel like it's, it's so true how having access to the internet just allows for a greater sense of community. And I feel like I want to drop the term like self-gaslighting. I feel like if you belong to an equity-deserving group or you are the victim of certain um, actions, you know, whether they be homophobic or racist or et cetera, et cetera. There are so many obics. But um, if you're alone in that and you have no one to talk to and there aren't really people that you can relate to, I feel like it's so easy to self-dismiss and think, oh, that was a one-off or, oh, I'm the only one going through this or, oh, I can't really reach out for help because this is just me. But with the internet and with the introduction of like literally being able to reach people globally who, you know, they're going through different things, but in similar ways or similar things in different ways, it's a lot easier for you to validate yourself and think this is wrong what happened to me was wrong and i have this community that's backing me and now i can take action or i have support or i now feel encouraged to talk to somebody else about this for sure mm-hmm. for sure so i want to go back to something you said earlier candace about the social determinants and its root in trauma that is rooted in oppression and colonialism and how our education system is part and parcel of this systemic issue that we're facing that is, is has an opportunity right now to either further divide or bring the generations together. And I'll introduce, you know, that the North American education system was heavily influenced by John Dewey who was influenced by a German philosopher named Hegel. And Candace, you said other groups have experienced discrimination. As a person of African descent, I hear you, right? <laughs> and so Hegel wrote that education is the art of making man ethical, which is you know beautiful sentiment. 
But he also said that the continent of Africa is unsubstantiated mass that has contributed nothing oh to civilization. <laughs> so, wow. so the point of this what is, we if you have, what can you expect? Oh so if you God. have your education system built on those roots in that soil, you plant your system in that soil, the roots are growing that continue to perpetuate that ideology of savage, of uneducated, uncivilized. And then you let that tree grow and the fruit comes off and you're like, man, this fruit is not very good. You blame it on the factors around the fruit. Well, the parents didn't really take care of the fruit. And, you know, uh, the, the society, the community, I mean, holy crap, that community is not very great. Well, the fruit came off the branch that was on the tree that is in the roots, that is in the soil. And so when we think of that contextually, let's go back to, to medicine just for a moment. Now we are in one of the biggest healthcare crises that we've seen in a long time. We're talking about emergency rooms like overflowing. We're talking about a global millions of nurses healthcare professionals that are just exiting the system. Mm -hmm. How does the generational gap, how does your understanding of the roots of the system and the current context, how does that start to play? How important is your generation in possibly eliminating that gap and bringing equity to a workspace that is so divided right now. We need to be able to speak up because like when you see something that's wrong, there's so much fear of retribution that people may not speak up. Mm -hmm. So just like when uh, we had a tuberculosis class and they teach us all about how bad it is, about how what the treatments are, that there's a vaccine for it so you can like avoid getting tuberculosis. Um. Yet there's an outbreak in Nunavut. Yes. Right now. We Let's could bring the truth to this conversation. We could fix this mm -hmm. if we were to give out vaccines. Yeah. Like when they're children and then that way within a, because that's how they did it with the rest of Canada. Right. Now, to add insult to injury, medical providers can get the vaccine. Mm -hmm. So it's not that it's not available. It's not that it's not given. It's that they are choosing not to. Right. Why? Yeah. And like, there's no good reason for that other than racism or their policy just isn't up to par to be able to make this happen. Because I asked the teacher, I'm like, oh, why don't we, why don't they just give that to the Indigenous kids? He's like, well, some people think we should. There was no, I think we should. Some people. Yeah. There was some people think we should. Now, maybe he just didn't want to like speak out. Maybe he didn't want to speak out of turn because like everybody has that fear of retribution within their community, within their yeah. um, field, mm -hmm. because you need to be able to survive at the end of the day. Yeah. Because like uh, probably two, um, September 30th ago, I, uh, the chancellor did a, Marie Sinclair did a talk and we were able to ask him questions. And that was one of the things that he mentioned. I was like, well, well how are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to like make changes and stuff like that? And he mentioned that we have to survive. Yeah. Because 
if we're going to be kicked out of whatever employment we're at because we're making waves because the majority don't want this, who doesn't want this? Who doesn't want equity? Everybody knows somebody of color. Everybody knows somebody in equity seeking group, whether it be they're having physical disabilities, mental disabilities, um, or if they're like trying to seek equity for that, or if they're from a minority, everybody knows someone. So who is this other person that we're talking of that doesn't want this to happen? It doesn't make sense to me. Other than we've just been doing it for so long. And while there is a lot of benefit from like previous generations and what they've been doing and like the institutional knowledge that can be passed on, we need to take the positive things that they know and not the negative things Mm -hmm. to be able to move forward. Because if we've just been doing it for so long, there's so many things that we could take for an example that we've done for so long that aren't right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And there's so many things that we can move forward with because they're great. Yeah. So if we... Focus on the positive and try and build towards positive initiatives and making it better for everybody. I think that would be a better approach as opposed to just doing what other people are saying. Yeah. yeah. And that that power piece, that ability to speak out or not for fear of harm. Again, to your point, um, Sympathy, the 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 fact that it's often those who are most oppressed that will then stick their neck out and have to be the ones that still continue, continue to challenge the status quo, to continue to break glass ceilings. And I always say, if you're going to break a glass ceiling, you can't be afraid to get cut because the glass is going to fall somewhere. And so if it is always us, that, that harm piece is critically important. And so... Do you feel as a student, as a Gen Z, as a medical student, that there is capacity anywhere for students to be able to raise their voice? Because, because hold on, because Queens, Queen, let's just put it out there right now. Queens is saying that they're on this mission to DEI, right? So do you feel that that is reality or are we living in a pipe dream where we're checking boxes? I think the issue is that there is ability for us to come together and raise our voices and advocate for change or identify needs, identify gaps and barriers. Mm -hmm. The issue is that people at the top are comfortable where they're at Mm -hmm. and they they don't want to change that, I think. And I I agree. Queens does say that they're on a mission for EDI, but where is that? Where do we see that? There, I feel like I've, it's only ever been a Band-Aid solution. I think that in order to make true and meaningful change that will last generations, that will last for the future, that can grow and become its own beautiful thing, you have to uproot it. You know, you have to start from the beginning. You have to start from scratch because to your point, a lot of what we do and a lot of the policies and a lot of the way that we go about things, they stem from these times where I don't think anyone here was considered human. So can we really... <laughs> Let's bring some more That's truth true. That's no. to the conversation. Yeah. Can we really expect to uh, create change for a future where everyone is equally valued and everyone has equity and everyone is included and everyone's voices are heard if 
the systems that we're playing by and the rules that we're playing by were created at a time where only like one type of person, i.e. men, were considered to be valued and human, right? So I do, change is definitely possible. And people in our class itself too are constantly raising voices and are constantly making noise. The issue is that there are just institutional um, hurdles to get over, right? Mm -hmm. There's so many policies. There's so many ways that you have to go about things. You have to gather um, a certain number of people. You have to advocate, but the amount of people that you gather to advocate, will they drown out the noise or will they outvote the other people on the panel that have more more of a voice, more experience, or their opinion is more valued? Mm -hmm. So I think it's more of a matter of time as opposed to whether or not it's possible. I think it is possible and I think it will happen because it happens in a lot of small measures even now. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think as we go forward and if we just continue to be tenacious and can continue to be, um, to have faith and, and love and as long as we fight together and recognize like we're all basically fighting for the same thing yeah. just in different fonts essentially exactly. let's just let's get there we love that let's get over there you fighting know? together in different fonts mm-hmm. and Absolutely. you know I gotta, I gotta say that even in my short time here at Queens within health sciences you know having the dean's action table having those student voices at the table looking at every single pillar from admissions all the way to interprofessional development, we are looking at dismantling and decolonizing our entire system. So mm-hmm. we're taking steps. We'll have to see what that looks like in a couple of years, but we're going to wrap up. And I just want to ask each of you to just, what are your last words? What do we miss from this conversation? What do you want to make sure gets out there before we wrap up today? Because this was such a great conversation. We went all over the place. We went from the root to the fruit. So let's go. <laughs> what did we run. miss from the root to the fruit? <laughs> so the journey, any journey is made with a single step, right? Mm-hmm. So September 30th, two years ago, we did not celebrate it at all. Like there was like a couple things, but there was, everybody had classes and then a few faculty had shirts and stuff like that. This year we had a half day which is not what's recommended in the Truth and Reconciliation Report. It's supposed to be a full day according to the recommendations of the Canada Recommendation (laughs) Council. So, I mean, there's still resistance to change. Yes. There is still resistance. But we are making progress. So you may have to accept the little, little steps are still steps in the right direction. So we just have to keep making these little changes, having discussions like this to bring up the topics that need to be changed because it's hard to make change by yourself. Mm-hmm. So together, when we bring up these topics that are important to us, to um, the public and greater uh, Queen's area, then uh, they know they're not alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always say it's never been about you. It's never been about them. It's always been about us. Let's keep moving make it better for the future generations. For sure. Timothy. I think that as long as we all remember that we're gunning to the same towards the same goal and we all want what's best for our our group, but mm-hmm. what we want what's best for our group is similar to what other people want, mm-hmm. what is best for their group and I think, you know, it's an us. There's no I in team. We mm-hmm. have to work we have to understand that bigger change and fundamental change and change that will last us throughout in the future 
it's not going to happen because of one person mm. or one group of people. It's going to happen because we all eventually put our hands up and like we come together and we just go for it. Go for it. And that's all. Go for it, basically. I think I think it's it's enough now, right? Like it, we're done. It's enough. Let's just do Let's this just go already. for it. Let's just Let's go. Let's do this already. Put like our stuff good, down. Like you said, right from the beginning, it's we a choice. We ride at dawn. It is a choice. It's a choice. Yeah. We have choices to make. So let's just make the right choice. Absolutely. And like move it along already. Thank you both for being at the harbor today. Thank you, Samrithi. Thank you, Candace, for your insight, for your knowledge, for your energy, for your compassion and for your continued strive to make not just Queens, but our world a better place. I think we had such a great conversation today. Love to keep it going. And I'm hoping that everybody who's listening understands that Generation Z, um, the generational gap clearly should not be a gap because if we fill the gap with this kind of knowledge, we could fill any gap. We could actually be better as a university as a country and as a planet. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you.